0: Obviously, life is full of questions. Some of you guys out here, you've asked probably one of the most important questions you've ever asked in your entire life. Will you marry me, right? Bunch of you guys, that's a very important question. Some other questions we ask all the time is, well, what in the world am I gonna wear today? I know a lot of you guys ask that question too, right? A lot of questions from from our students are, where am I gonna go to college? Some of you are seniors. You're getting ready to graduate, and you really haven't made that decision right now. Trying to weigh that, so you're trying to ask the question: Where am I going to go to college? And, and some of you probably the most one of the most important decisions that you're going to ask today is: Where in the world are we going to eat lunch after church? You know, you're probably saying: Where where are we going to eat lunch? But what I want to post to you this morning is that our message series titled "Explore God" is we're faced with many difficult spiritual questions. Many questions. And so this morning, we want to make sure that you understand there's 50 other churches all throughout the triangle that are starting this message series titled Explore God. We believe that there are several questions, spiritually speaking, that help form and frame who God is in your life, and we we believe it's our responsibility to help you in that search and also to give you tools to answer those questions that maybe some of your friends might be asking. And so we joined together with a lot of other churches in the area that are doing just this, using this message series to answer several questions. This morning, we've got two questions that we're going to tackle together. The first question that we're going to ask is, how do we know that God exists? You heard the video that referenced several people and some of their objections, some of their hopes. So we're going to talk about how do we know that God exists. And the second question that we're going to take a look at is, is the Bible reliable? We have this book, we read this book, we teach this book every Sunday that we're here we encourage you to read it in your, at your home by yourself. But we have to ask the question, is the Bible reliable? And first, before you even jump into the first question, I want you to understand the first four words of the Bible are critical to this study for your life. The first four words of the Bible say this, in the beginning God, in the beginning God. They're not out there to prove that God exists. They're assuming, the Bible assumes that God does exist. And it goes and reveals who he is. But in addition to that, In the beginning, God requires that you and I have a level of faith. Right now, you have faith that the chair that you're sitting in is holding you up. And so here today, this journey that we're on titled Explore God is a journey of faith. So whether you're here today and you have been a follower of Jesus for a very long time, we hope that this will help strengthen your faith, give you reasons to help other people understand faith. And also if you're here today and you don't know who he is, maybe you're a cynic, maybe you're a a skeptic, I'm asking you to just listen. And then around your sphere of influence, people around, maybe ask some questions. Ask some more questions. Our first question that we're going to talk about today, and again, we're not going to be an exhaustive study right now, but the first question that we're going to ask right now is, how do we know God exists? How do we know that God exists? Here is Tim Keller in his book called Reason for God. He asks the question, or he says this How can we believe in Christianity if we don't even know whether God exists? He goes on to say, Though there cannot be irrefutable proof for the existence of God, many people have found strong clues for his reality, divine fingerprints in many places. So Keller suggests that there are clues that God exists, and what we're gonna do is talk about two clues that God exists. So I'm just gonna ask you to go ahead and put on your Sherlock Holmes hat, I'm going to all genres here, or your, your Jack Bauer or Jason, ba- or Jason Bourne uh, identity here. You're, you're gonna have to really uncover some of the clues outside of what we're doing today, even by looking at the Explore God website that has a lot of other articles, videos, about the questions that we'll be asking. And so the couple of clues that we have, the first clue that I want you to see in answering the question, does God exist? The very first clue is that God is evident in creation. God is evident in creation. In Psalm chapter 19, verses 1 through 4, there's a guy named David, and he is obviously a prominent figure in the Bible. And so these verses right here in Psalm 19, 4 show that that God exists. And it gives us an easy understanding, an easy argument to show that he does exist. It's 3,000 years after this situation took place that David coined these words in Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4. And I want to read those to you right now. It says this, The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. What God has shown through David is that David is marveling at God's creation that says that there has got to be someone who has done all of this. A divine creator, an intelligent designer with the complexity, something so big, so beautiful, and so well designed that the, the heavens declare his glory. Hebrews three, four says this, he who built all things is God. He who built all things is God. People all time, all the time willfully choose, I don't believe in, in God, I don't believe in who he is, but the evidence from the heavens gives us a clue that there is a creator. And my prayer this morning is that you won't miss him, that you won't miss him. Let's go and take a look at some of the rhetorical questions. I have some rhetorical questions that really kind of help paint this picture of this beautiful creation that we find ourselves in. Many of you were at spring break. Many of you have seen beaches this week, and you've seen the beautiful creation of beaches. Amen? That was beautiful, right? Here's, here's a couple of things that I want to say, some rhetorical questions. How do we account for the fact that the earth is just the right distance from the sun for life to exist on earth? If, if we were any closer, we would burn up. If we were any further away, we would freeze. The earth is sovereignly positioned and placed purpose how did the moon get into the right spot in space to help control the movement of the earth's oceans we have high tide and low tide that some of you are able to see because of the creation of the moon and the positioning of the moon the earth is the only planet whereby life plants and animals can exist why is it that the sun moon and earth and the stars all travel in predictable patterns the fact is this, is that the amazing design of the creator, because this, the text says that the design is the, the firmament and the heavens, shows his, which is God, which shows his handiwork. It is his tapestry, it is his canvas that he has painted for to reveal to us who it is that he is through general revelation. The countless numbers of stars in the sky testify to his greatness. Then you take a look at us human beings and the complexity of our mind, the complexity of our bodies, and just all the things that we can think, the computer program that is in our head, I mean, our brains, it's unreal. Let me give you an example of this. Proteins are needed to make up what's called genetic code. Genetic code is what really identifies who you are. It's your hair color, the color of your skin. I mean, all of that comes together. The odds that four proteins that make up the basic building block of genetic code would happen to randomly meet from a cornerstone to a living cell are astronomical. It is in excess of 10 to the 25th power to one. So that means there's 10 with 24 zeros after it to one. And I don't need you to go all Jim Carrey on me and say, so you're thinking there's a chance. A.J. White is a chemist from the University of Wales and he said this, if you had the right environment, the right mixture of chemicals, 100 million years, the odds of producing a small protein, just one, was a chance in one followed by 67 zeros. Many of you have had the privilege of having children. And, and I'm overwhelmed at the the, the, the beautiful process of just just our kids and and seeing babies go from in the womb into out of the womb and then how they even breathe it's unbelievable let me read this to you the mother's placenta helps the baby breathe while it is growing in the womb oxygen and carbon dioxide flow through the blood into the placenta most of it goes to the heart and flows to the baby's body at birth the lungs are filled with fluid they are not inflated so the, the fluid fills them up. The baby takes its first breath within the first 10, eight to ten seconds after delivery. The breath sounds like a gasp as the ba- newborn's central nervous system reacts to the sudden change in temperature and the environment it finds itself in. Once the baby takes the first breath, a number of changes occur in the infant's lungs and circulatory system. Increased oxygen in the lungs causes a decrease in blood flow resistance in the lungs. Blood flow resistance of the baby's blood vessels are also increased. Fluid drains or is absorbed in the respiratory system. The lungs inflate, begin working on their own, moving oxygen into the bloodstream and removing carbon dioxide by breathing it out. And babies are nose breathers for the first six months of their lives, mostly, to help them to be get nourished as they feed. The design and complexity and the order of life and the universe points listen to me to an intelligent designer and his name is God the psalm the psalmist wrote in 96 verses 4 and 5 the lord is great and greatly to be praised for the lord made the heavens and i would say and all that is in it let me tell you something we're not here by accident or by chance we're here with an incredibly divine purpose And maybe that is foggy to you, or maybe that is foreign to you. But I'm asking you to open up your heart and to help other people understand that there is a God in heaven who exists, and he has demonstrated himself through this beautiful, beautiful creation of of, of creation itself. It demonstrates who he is. Number two, the second clue that we have that God exists is God is evident in creation, but God is evident in Jesus Like I said, the first four words of the Bible is in the beginning, God. And like I said before, the Bible is not proving the existence of God. The the Bible is is assuming God has always existed. There is no beginning, no end. But George Barna, who's a researcher, does a lot of work with churches, he basically did a research of Americans um, recently, and he said over the top five things people believe about Jesus, everybody believes that Jesus was a historical and real person, that he really was, A person and that he really was alive and so if Jesus was alive so let me just just trace with me if you say God does not exist I want to introduce you to someone whose name is Jesus Jesus existed even folks that do not believe in him as the Messiah we still can stand and say that most of Americans believe in Jesus maybe they believe that he was a prophet maybe they believe that he was a man maybe they believe that he was a good man and he's been satirized in places like The Da Vinci Code has defined who he is. South Park, I have not seen the show, and but they have satirized who he is. We have to take a look at all of these things that say and define who he is. Now, what we're trying to uncover, what we're trying to uncover here, is trying to uncover does God exist? And I want again to direct you to what Jesus said about who he was. So let's just say, maybe you're here today and you believe Jesus is my savior. You've said that. You've proclaimed that. You're living that. Maybe you're sitting here saying, uh, Jesus was a historical prophet, a historical person. But let's take a look at what Jesus said about himself. What did Jesus say to people who he was? Let me read you a couple of things. John 14, verses nine through 11 says this. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How could you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. In addition to that, John 17, verse 21, Jesus says says again, that they may be one just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they may also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And a beautiful verse in John chapter one, I would encourage you if you're looking to see who in the world Jesus is, who is God, does he exist, I would direct you to John chapter one, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, here it is, who is himself God. God. And is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So one of the greatest clues of the existence of God is this one we talk about every single week, and that is Jesus. We've referenced him two weeks ago. We've said that he's King Jesus. We've said that he's better. Jesus is better. We've used this. Name. Jerry taught last week that Jesus is not on the cross. Jesus is not in the grave. Jesus is resurrected. And we stand here today and we say, how do we know this God of the universe? How does he exist? We take a look at the life of Jesus and I would encourage you to dig deep this week and figure out who is Jesus so that I might be able to understand who is God. Because Jesus himself declared that he was God. Jesus himself is the full revelation of God himself. Here's what we have. We have two clues. We have the clues of creation and the clues of Jesus. That is simply not an exhaustive study in the first couple of minutes that we have here together. So again, I encourage you to study more. But here's another question that we have. Another question that we have is, how do we know that the Bible is reliable? How do we know that we can trust what the Bible says is true? So there are a lot of people that will sit there and say, I don't believe the Bible. I believe it's a bunch of made-up stories. And so I just want to make some statements about the Bible before we get into two tests that I feel like will demonstrate to you the reliability of the Bible, or at least give you something to think about and of course, give you something to use as a tool in your own walk with Christ. One thing we need to understand, not to insult anybody's intelligence, the Bible is made up of 66 books. It's made up of 66 books. We have 39 in the, in the Old Testament, and we have 27 in the New Testament. It's written by 40 authors, and it is 1,600 years of compilation to put everything together. Not only that, the Bible is the number one selling book of all time, continually running right here, right now, with over five billion copies sold. Printing in, in the 15th century has made it so much easier for everyone to have a copy of this great book. We are, at the, we, we are at the privilege where we don't have to hide or read this in private, like some of the, folk, some of the folks over in like East Asia, where they have to do that in secret, or their lives are at stake for even owning a copy of this book. And and so that is, it's 66 books, it's 40 authors, it's 1,600 years. Please don't miss this. The Bible has one story. Don't miss that. The Bible has one story. It's the story of God's rescue plan for mankind who sinned against him, and he came to have a relationship. He sent Jesus to do just that. That is the Bible in a summary. 66 books, 40 authors, 1,600 years, but with one story. The story's broken down into creation, the fall, rescue, and redemption. But that is the story. So how do we know that the Bible is reliable and how is it valid? And then what are some of the tests that we can go through? And I first wanna introduce you to the first test and the first test is called the honesty test. The second test is called the telephone test. So if we take the scriptures and we put it through the honesty test, then that's what we have to take a look at. Is it reliable? See, here's what a lot of people will say about the Bible. The Bible is written by a bunch of men And a bunch of men telling good stories try to make you feel better about yourself. I'd I'd encourage you to go read the book of Leviticus or Judges. Okay, see, here's the situation with the Bible. Here's what a lot of people will say, that, that this book right here is compiled and put together by men. And when I take a look at the Bible and I look at people and I look at Romans chapter three, verse 23, it says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And I can tell you this right now, that if a man was writing that Bible, they would not put that in there. If a man was writing that Bible, or if men were writing that Bible, they would brag on themselves and all their accomplishments. And everybody, all ladies said, amen. Okay, we would do that. That's what we have a tendency to do. We're going to put ourselves on the platform right now. So if we take the scripture, we take the Bible itself, we put it into what is called the honesty test, what is revealed in the scripture. What's revealed in the scripture is David is called an adulterer, David is called a murderer, Abraham is saying, hey, Abraham, guess what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. I want you to get out of this country, and I'm going to take care of you and your family. By the way, I'm going to let you and Sarah, I'm going to give you a son. You just wait on me. What do they do? They didn't wait. That story is in the Bible. That story of him not waiting on God is in the Bible. They didn't wait. They took things in their own hand, and there was a lot to pay for. If the Bible was written by men, it would not have those types of stories in there because, listen. The Bible is more concerned with the truth of you and I, our need and our condition, than it is to make and glorify us. It is written to glorify him, to reveal him, to honor him, to showcase him, to exalt him. That's the reason we have the scripture. And I take a look and I'm sitting here going, wow, David's an adulterer. Abraham doesn't trust. Jesus calls Peter Satan. The disciples are seen arguing at best and he looks at us a lot of times and he calls us sheep. Sheep aren't the smartest animal in the pen, right? I remember sitting there with my wife on a mission trip. I had two high school friends. I grew up in Connecticut. She got a law degree from Boston College. He was a school teacher up in Massachusetts. We went to see them, and uh, we were on a mission trip in the Massachusetts area. We went to see them. They lived right directly across the street from the, the marker that said Harvard University. Said, welcome to Cambridge, Harvard University. That was the entrance to the college. They lived literally right across the street parked her car right there, went in and had dinner with him and stuff. I've been praying for a long time, God, give me an opportunity to share the gospel with my high school friends. Because when I was in high school, I didn't do it. And I really felt like, man, give me another opportunity. The Lord did that. Um, Andrew was three months old. Um, Their daughter was like two years old. We had dinner together. And they said, so tell us what you do. And I got to tell them. I got to tell them, we're up here because we believe that there's a God in heaven who loves you, loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for you so that you might be redeemed, that you might be saved. And I shared with him what I feel like is the greatest news that has ever been shared in before in my life and I had the opportunity to do that. And then my friend looked at me and he said, I don't believe that, man, I don't believe that God wrote this book. I can't read that book. I think it's just a bunch of men writing something to make them feel better. And now listen to this. At this time, I am Matt Rice, pastor of evangelism. And I sat there with my mouth open and nothing came out. And then Dana just, boom, threw it down. I mean, she just went, well, here's the deal. Let me tell you right now, I have read this book. You said that you have not, but I've read the book. And when I read the book, I realize that the book is revealing to me my greatest need. The book is revealing to me that I am a sinner And then I need help. And when I take a look at what man would write versus what God would write, then I would say, wow, man could not have come up with that. It has to be something that was given by God. Because again, the Bible passes the honesty test because the Bible is honest about our condition, revealed in, in revealed in Romans three twenty three, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But it also says in, in Romans six twenty three, that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life, and that's what the book is concerned with, and is reliable, passes the honesty test. Let's talk about, take a look at the telephone test. One more test that we have. Test number two is the telephone test. Now listen, I'm not just going to go old school, whether you're a, a young parent or whether you've, this has passed you, but you know the game telephone, right? You, you, like, you sit in a circle and you say something to the person next to you and you go around the room to see, okay, how much of the message is intact? If it's a really, really big circle, then it really means the, the, the message is not going to stay together. But if it's a smaller circle, then it means the message is going to really has a chance, a better chance, of staying intact. And so let's take that and apply that to the scriptures. So if you write something, and then we have a manuscript, and we have a manuscript, so the manuscript is found here, but when the original writing was found way back here, we want the gap between the manuscript and the original to be closer together. Are you with me? And here's a couple of look at the classic writings of like Julius Caesar and let me, let, me give, let me give you some examples here. So here's what happens, Julius Caesar, there are 10 manuscript copies of his works, and there are 1,000 years after, the first one is 1,000 years after he wrote it, okay? Julius Caesar, and, and, and then we have Herodotus, there are eight copies of his works, and the earliest is 1,400 years after he wrote it. And then we have Plato, And there are seven copies of Plato's works, and the earliest is 1,200 years after he wrote it. And archaeologists have found 643 copies of the works of Homer. And just for the record here, Homer wrote the Iliad and the Odyssey. There are 643 manuscripts of his writings. Now, let me just go ahead and say this. New Testament alone. Hang on. New Testament alone. There are currently more than 24,000 manuscripts of the New Testament. With the most earliest copies anywhere from 50 years to 200 years. The most being 300 years. And this is what takes place. I have never in my history of talking to people in my literature classes in school ever had people deny the works of Aristotle, Herodotus, Plato, and Homer. I've never had anybody deny their works with the huge gap of years and manuscripts but there are folks that say, I don't believe that book because it's not true. If we're going to throw out, throw out the Bible, then you have to throw out all the classical literature that has all been around because the telephone test demonstrates to us that the scriptures can be trusted. The scriptures can be trusted. I think it's important for us to take a look at the scripture, what it says about itself. I think it's important for us to do that. If we wanna take a look at 1 Corinthians 15, we need to understand that 1 Corinthians 15 is the story that Jesus resurrected from the dead and that he appeared before 500 people. Now let's take a look at this, just hang with me. Jesus appeared before 500 people. As he appeared before 500 people, okay? He told them who he was, showed them who he was. They saw him. They were eyewitnesses. Now, 50 years after that account, we have our first manuscript. Okay? 50 years. Those folks lived a long time back in Bible times, right? I mean, they were eating clean and organic and everything. Using oils. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, too far. But all of them right now, all of them, all of the, 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 the works right there, what we're saying here is this, is that 50 years, the window is so short that the text allows there to be eyewitnesses to say, yes, that indeed happened. Yes, that was true. We cannot validate the works of Aristotle, Plato, because it was over 1,000 years for all of them. But here we look at the text I and mean, we people that were alive when it was written or when the events took place, which demonstrates the validity, and the reliability, or at least it gives great credence to the reliability of the message. What does the Bible teach about itself? What what does the Bible say about itself? 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 are two verses, I pray that you hope you'll you'll know and, and memorize. It says that all scripture is breathed out by God. That goes back to our point, the honesty test. All scripture is breathed out by God. Because why? It is basically... The text is sharing us right now that the text is saying that these writers were writing down words from the Lord. It was breathed out by God. It was inspired by God. It wasn't a human writing these words with the idea of words. They were penning the words. But it was God speaking through them to write what was to say because he's more concerned about the truth of the message of redemption than glorifying man. So all scripture is breathed out by God. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the reliability of this text is for us to know what? To be complete, to understand who he is. To be equipped to handle the situations we find ourselves in. And to do and for every good work. God wants us to live for him, to serve him, to know him. And 2 Peter 1:20 20 through 20-21 says this. Knowing this first, of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Verse 21. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Hear that? No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, the Holy Bible. The Holy Bible. The, the Holy means set apart. Bible means book. Book. The Latin word biblia means books. And so here it is right now. There's no book on your shelf that's like this book right here. Every one that you have in your hand other than this one has been written, yes, by men. But this book has been inspired and created and organized and it is reliable. It is reliable. And it tells you the truth of your problem And your condition, and gives you a solution. And that's Jesus. That's what's in this great book. So, is it just a book? No. I would say this it's a love letter, it's a love letter. It's a loving God who exists, revealing to us our greatest need. So what, what, are, what is our action step? I mean, what are, what are we gonna do for the next, what, what, what should we do with the information that we have this morning and over the next three weeks? I'm, I'm gonna encourage you to do a couple of things. First and foremost, I'm gonna encourage you right now to take go outside, and it's gonna be really nice out. Everybody said amen, okay? It's gonna be nice out this week. I want you to get out and see the beauty of God's creation. I don't want you to miss anything. M- one of the things I, I didn't realize that I needed glasses in the ninth grade. And I was sitting in chemistry class and I was like, I, this guy next to me, his name was Steve Shaker. <laughs> I remember his name. He said he has glasses on the table and I picked up his glasses and I, I just put them on and I went, oh my gosh, I can see. <laughs> I didn't realize I couldn't see, I didn't realize? That board is really fuzzy. I can't see the the periodic table and all that stuff. That makes a lot of sense right now. I'm I'm asking you right now to pause and get out in God's beautiful tapestry known as creation and just worship and praise him this week. I would encourage you to take just one part of your day, an hour of one of the days, maybe walk somewhere close to your house and recognize and see that what God has created is to demonstrate himself to you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to be convinced that he exists. And, and second thing I would say is this. Is may, maybe there's a Bible reading plan. Maybe you're sitting here going, well, I believe the Bible's reliable, but I could not defend or, or even answer questions that were asked to me. Then I'm just going to direct you to um, a, a Bible reading plan called Tim Keller's Making Sense of God. It's on YouVersion. You can download the app YouVersion on your phone. There's a Bible reading plan called Making Sense of God, and I'd encourage you to download that. I, the, the plan will alarm you and come to your phone, and it'll, say, it'll remind you, sit, pause, and read that. The Bible says faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, so I want to encourage you to get into this book because it's reliable, and I will just give you a testimony to change my life. It's changed my life. He's a good God, and he wrote us a love letter. I don't want you to read it. I don't want you to be, my prayer is that you'll be changed by it. So if you have questions, we want you to continue to answer questions. But more importantly than this, here's what I want you to do. I, I, one more action step is the exploregod.com website has articles and videos. Maybe some of you are like, I can't stand to read. I don't want to read at all. There's some videos on there that you can watch as well. As I was coming in here this, this morning and, and getting ready to speak, uh, I had a great conversation with Hector, who's our custodian. He, he's on staff. We call He's on staff here at Panther Creek, but we he's one of our staff members too. We, he opens everything every Sunday for us to come in here. Hector has got someone really dear and close to him that's not a, a follower of God. And he came to tell me about some really neat things that God's doing in this person's life. And he sat there and just rolled out one after another just started rolling about how excited he is for this person who's so close to him to start to think about the things of God. And if if you're here today and you don't know God, I believe that there are people in your path because I know how God works is that he's put people in your path for a purpose to help you understand those things. And I believe that if you do know God, then let us make let it be our passion northwest to make much of him. Not let anybody around us not know about this great God who exists and this great love letter that demonstrates the truth of who we are and the rescue that awaits us. Let's pray. God, we love you. Thank you for who you are. You are good. You are great. You are worthy to be praised. There is no one like you. Lord, simply not an exhaustive study this morning, but hopefully, God, you'll use what has been shared this morning as an opportunity for people to know you and realize who you are. We thank you for uh, the, the clues of creation. It's so beautiful, the sunsets, the moon, just the ponds, the, the trees, just beautiful. Every person in here that's, that's standing here is demonstration of your beautiful creation. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Thank you for the heavens that declare your glory. And God, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for it is there for us to be equipped, to be challenged, to be strengthened. Thank you that it is there for us to know you. Thank you that it is, it is reliable. And Lord, I thank you for every person in here today, those that follow you and those that are just trying to figure things out. I pray that today, God, each of them will be encouraged in their walk to take one step closer to you. One step closer. Be with us this week. Be with us. Help us to know you. Help us to proclaim you. Help us to serve you. And Lord, help us to ask questions. Surround us, surround us with people that need to know and help us to step up to the plate. We love you. We are so grateful for who you are. Let our voices right now be pleasing to your sight. In Jesus' name, amen.